Living Stones Church, it is so good to be with you today. Uh, so good to be part of Per Week with you. And uh, as Andy shared with me, the theme for this week being united in prayer. I love that theme. It was September of 2002. Uh, I was living right outside New York City in a community called Nanuet in a county called Rockland County, which had about 300,000 people in it. I was working at a small Lutheran Brethren Church uh, trying to start a youth ministry and really trying to figure out what ministry looked like as a 20-year-old. Um, the lead pastor of the church uh, I was working at one day asked me, hey, do you want to come to this pastor's prayer gathering um, with other pastors in the county? And I sort of begrudgingly agreed to go, um, thinking that it was something that I should do rather than something that I really wanted to do. Um, I didn't know anybody uh, in the county. I was pretty new. And, uh, and I didn't necessarily grow up um, in a community of faith where people gathered to pray regularly. We prayed in our home. Prayer was an individual thing often, um, but it wasn't something that we did corporately, really. Um, and so I walked into the church that this prayer meeting was happening at, and there were like less than 10 of us there. You would think in a community of 300,000 that there would be like thriving churches in this area. But there was like, there's probably like more thriving churches in Kokato than there was in that county of 300,000 people. And so uh, we all introduced ourselves and we jumped into prayer. And I'm sure I, I was a young, young leader, if I would even call myself that at the time. And I'm sure that I prayed early and often in that prayer meeting, probably feeling my own insecurities, being there amongst other, you know, strong, established leaders. But then Floyd began to pray. And I'm sure I opened my eyes and I looked around to see who was praying and I looked at him. I don't know in my life up to that point that I had ever heard someone pray the way Floyd did. This is a picture of Floyd recently. He probably looked that old 20-some years ago, and he's like the ageless wonder at this point. But that's a picture of Floyd. And there was just a tenderness in his spirit. There was, it was so evident to me in that moment that Floyd knew and loved Jesus, and my heart was so moved. See, I went to New York thinking, like, I, I knew some of the, big Christian leaders in New York City, and it was my goal to like meet them and ask them to mentor me because I wanted to learn from these giants of the faith. And then I encountered Floyd, and I knew that I needed Floyd in my life. And at the end of the prayer time, Floyd invited me. He's like, hey, stop by my office anytime. We can chat, you know, get to know each other. And I took him up on that. And the first time I walked into his office, I sat down and within five minutes, I said, I think you need to mentor me. And he goes, I don't even know you, buddy. Um, maybe we should talk first. But over the next 11 months, he became one of the most influential people in my life. And it all started with corporate prayer. John Piper once said, he said, prayer is intentionally conveying a message to God. He said, we unintentionally convey messages to God all the time by how we act and by what we do. He said, prayer is intentionally conveying a message to God. And I love that simple definition of prayer. 
But often I think we think that prayer is like this individual thing, you know, growing up in maybe different faith streams, different faith communities. We think, well, if I'm going to pray, like it's kind of between me and God, or it's, you know, uh, it's my own personal thing. But the fact of the matter is, is that every time we pray, we are actually corporately praying. And I know that sounds like, what? No, corporate prayer is like this thing where you get together on a Sunday night at church and, you know, you pray together. It can be awkward because you're not sure what to say. But funny enough, corporate prayer happens every time you pray because you are praying with God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit every time you pray. It's a corporate thing. And that instantly makes it something that you're doing with others. And whenever you start talking with the Father, you are always joining others. Others who are praying around the world at the exact same time that you're praying, you are never praying alone. So what does Scripture say about praying corporately, being united in prayer? Matthew 18, 19, and 20 says this, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. It seems pretty clear that there's significant power that happens in prayer when people gather to be unified in prayer. John 14, 13 and 14 says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. See, I believe that Jesus longed for unity in prayer. And I think we saw that throughout his life. We saw it when he went to the garden, right? Before he went to the cross, before he died on the cross, before he rose again. It was in that garden, before he went to trial, before he endured the 39 lashes, that he asked his three closest followers to come with him and to pray with him through the night. I love it when I read scripture and I see Jesus doing things that he longs for us to do, and he's setting an example for us to do them. He's not just doing it for us to read this story and be like, oh, that's interesting. He sweat drops of blood. That's wild. His buddies fell asleep. That's really too bad. It's like, no, he's like, hey, when you have something going on, Would you please bring others with you into it? Would you invite them in? God's heart for us is that we would be united in prayer. And we see it in the book of Acts. We see people coming together and praying and experiencing God in significant ways. I think sometimes some of us, and I don't know about you, but maybe you grew up in a faith environment where there was this thing like, well, yeah, all this stuff in the Bible, it was kind of in the past, you know, whether it be healing or whether it be different gifts of the Spirit or whether it be different things. Eh, I guess that's how it was back then, but that's not how it is now. I think the reason why it why it might be your experience that it isn't that way now is because you're not doing what Jesus laid out for us to do. I think when we move in the spirit of obedience, we actually do have experiences that look like the experiences of Jesus and the New Testament church. I want to dive into Acts chapter 12 this morning with you. 
And I invite you to open your Bibles or your apps and look at Acts chapter 12. We're going to start at the beginning of the chapter about what it looks like to be united in prayer and what happens when we're united in prayer. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Do we hear that? When he says the church, he means the people of God. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. Note, the night before Herod was going to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping because two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard. Okay, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it when they had walked the length of one street suddenly the angel left him then peter came to himself and said now i know without a doubt that the lord has sent his angel and rescued me from herod's clutches and from everything the jewish people were hoping would happen when he had when it had dawned on him when this had dawned on him he went to the house of mary the mother of john also called mark this is the guy who wrote the book of mark by the way where many people had gathered and were praying Okay, so we heard, right? The church was praying for him. We hear it again that a group of people, the church, were together praying for him. We know that this is the middle of the night because he was sleeping and they are gathered praying for him in the middle of the night. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back in without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You can imagine this happening, right? Like, this is a hilarious scene of any movie that's made about this. This is like, and Peter's standing there going like, are you like, let me in? Are you, what's happening? Um, you're, You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. I mean, can you imagine what that was like to be part of that prayer meeting? Yet when we follow what God calls us to, 
I guess my question is, should we be astonished? Should we be surprised? Or should we just be so used to it that we are consistently in a place of thankfulness and gratefulness for the faithfulness of our God? See, I believe there are many reasons why we should unite in prayer together, both physically and in the spirit. And yes, praying individually is a beautiful thing too. And for those of you that are intercessors and you've got a place in your home that you go, you just shake the gates of heaven and you plead with God for so many of us and for so many things. I'm so grateful for you. Keep going. During our time here today, I'd love to touch on a few things that being united in prayer does. People a lot wiser than me have spoken into me over a long period of time. The first is this. Being united in prayer turns prayer into a school for learning prayer. You guys, I have learned so much more about prayer by listening to others pray than from any sermon or book or podcast that I've ever listened to or read. Being around others in prayer opens up new possibilities. It makes us long to learn to pray like that. I shared earlier about my mentor Floyd. Being in prayer with him and others like him made me long for the presence of God. And just like anything, if I'm going to grow, I have to be around people that are further ahead than me on the journey. I also have to get around people who hold to the same gospel, but maybe experience prayer or the Holy Spirit in a different way than I normally do, or maybe that I have up until that point in my life. The diversity in the body of Christ across all different gospel-holding streams is amazing. And so getting together with people who maybe think differently about what prayer is and how the Holy Spirit moves, that can be something that can be incredible for us as people. During my high school years, I had three different youth pastors. That's a lot over four years. And the first of those three, his name was Jeremy, and he was fully committed to helping us as young people know how to pray. And so we met weekly during a time called Warrior Prayer Time. And it was the greatest, like, it, it was seriously the greatest experience of learning prayer that I had during those teenage years. I learned so much about prayer in that one year that he was there. Being united in prayer turns prayer into a school for learning prayer. Being united in prayer also turns prayer into a fireplace. I want to read you this quote by Martin Luther. He once said, At home in my own house there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church when the multitude is gathered, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. Like, let's think about it. You take a coal out of a fireplace. It is going to cool down. And if we're cool in our personal prayer life, we need to step back into the fireplace and be ignited, reignited. We all need to have a space where we, and sometimes others, stoke the fire of our souls, that as we go out from that place, we are ignited for spreading that warmth 
for those that don't yet know him. I don't know how to explain why it is this way, but it's just God. It's just the way that he moves and he works. It's one of the ways that he ignites us into stepping into being who he's made us to be. Being united in prayer turns prayer into a school of learning prayer, but it also turns prayer into a fireplace. Being united also turns prayer into a powerhouse. I once heard about this church in Shanghai, China. They had 60 members. They were super stagnant, not growing at all, just feeling bleh, right, as a church. And they chose to divide their church into 10 groups of six people. And they assumed, whether they were ready or not, that these people were ready to pray with others. And so what they did is in these 10 groups of six, they gave them each an hour between seven and five during the workday. And they said, we want you to gather during that hour. So if you're taking a breakfast, you're taking a breakfast. You're taking a lunch, you're taking a lunch, whenever you're doing it. But you're getting together, you six, and you're going to pray together every day together. So each and every day from seven to five, there would be continuous prayer throughout the workday. And after one year of doing this, they experienced 114 new baptisms. And in year two, they experienced 200 new baptisms. And they literally changed nothing else about what they did. Nothing. No new programming. No, you know, lights. No, like literally nothing. They did everything the same as a church other than pray. And they saw a revival break out in their community. This is incredible. One time I was at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. This is a picture of it in New York, just to give you context. During a Sunday afternoon service, my brother Eric had flown out to visit me while I was there. And the lead pastor of the church at the end of his message asked us to stand together and to hold hands across the room. He had preached that day from 1 John chapter 5, where it says these words, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. So that, that picture is what the room looked like that day. There's 3,300 seats in that room. Full and all of us standing together holding hands because he was burdened that day for the people in our lives who needed to come back to God. And he stood there and he said, I want you to start thinking of people in your life that you need to pray for. And in a minute, we're all, as, as we're holding hands, we are all going to start praying out loud together for these people. And so I began to think began to pray, thinking, God, who, who? And 
three friends from high school came to my mind. Nick, Jesse, and Kyle. And we began to pray. All of us on the balcony, all of us on the floor below. It was, it was loud in that room. Seeking God for those in our lives that were living in sin, that they might be given life. It was incredibly moving. And it was about 5.30 p.m. Eastern time when this took place. And I don't know what to tell you other than it was an unbelievably powerful moment to hear 3,300 people together out loud crying out to God for those in their lives that needed to come back to him. I left that night super moved, super inspired. And a couple days later, those three guys came back to my mind and my heart. And so I decided to reach out to one of them just to check in. Not going to ask anything crazy, but just like, hey, how's it going? What's going on? And so as we began to communicate back and forth, he began to tell me that he had been far from God. He and those closest to him had began to turn their lives over to the party scene. And, uh, and that, he said, you know, it was wild a couple days ago on Sunday. In the afternoon, we were getting ready to go to a party. And it was wild because all three of us felt like we needed to go to the Sunday night service at First Assembly of God Church in Minot, North Dakota, where I grew up. And so we said, we're well, okay, I guess we're not going to the party, we're going to church. And at the end of the service, the pastor called for people to come forward and to get their lives made right with Christ. And all three of them came forward. to rededicate their lives. And I sat there and I was like, what? I was astonished, but I was so grateful and I was so moved. Being united in prayer, it turns prayer into a school for learning prayer. It, it turns prayer into a fireplace and it turns prayer into a powerhouse. So then what do we do about it? How might we move towards becoming people of God who are united in prayer? learning, joining together, stepping into connecting God, connecting with God on a corporate level. And I feel like it starts with us asking God just a simple question. And that simple question is, God, what do you want me to do? 
I think sometimes we don't ask that question, or if we do, we don't stick around long enough for him to tell us what he wants us to do. We don't stick around for the revelation of what he's going to reveal to us. And the truth is, is that God wants to show us the way. He wants to show us who we are in him. He wants to show us what he wants us to know and what he wants us to do. So I believe that God wants us to make the ask. See, you remember in 1 John 5, that passage I just read, it says, if we ask anything according to his will that he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, we have what we asked of him. You guys grab that? If, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we have what we asked of him. So then I guess the question is, is do we think that God wants us to ask him what he wants of us, what he wants us to know, who he wants us to be? I tend to believe that that is his will. So if we ask him those things, he has promised in his word that we will have what we asked of him. Some of you might be sitting there going, well, how do I know? I mean, how do I know what he's, what he's going to How do I know it's him? How do I know he's saying something to me? Well, the process of hearing from God is just fixing your eyes on Jesus and waiting for the ideas to come. And you're going to know whether it's your idea or his idea because his, his is going to be in line with his will. And it's going to be in line with who he is. See, God longs for us to experience, for his glory and for our good, the school of prayer, the fireplace of prayer, the powerhouse of prayer. So my heart for all of us this morning is that we be followers of him who answer his call to be a people who are unified in prayer for his glory and for our good. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much. I thank you that you long for us to ask you those questions and you long to tell us what you've been wanting to tell us for a long time. Or maybe it's things that you've told us in the past that we have forgotten. So God, ignite within our hearts a desire to be unified in prayer as your people. That our astonishment in you answering would soon turn into gratefulness and thankfulness for the faithfulness of you. We love you so much, Jesus. We believe all these things in your name. Amen.